Matthew chapter 7. We are coming towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, We've just got a few verses left. We are midway through chapter 7. Um, We are going to be looking today at choices. Um, Next week, we're going to be looking at false prophets, wolves in sheep's clothing. And then we are going to be um, looking at how not everybody that says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. And then finally looking at the wise and foolish builders. And then that will conclude the greatest sermon ever preached. And at this point, the Lord is starting to wind down his message. And if you like, this section is the, the beginning of the end. This is, this is his and finally. You know, when a, when a preacher says he comes to his final point, everybody gets excited that he's coming to the end, and then he goes on for another 45 minutes. And finally, you know, Paul does that quite a lot. Where he says, and finally, brethren. And he goes on for about another three chapters. Um, but this is the Lord coming to his conclusion. This, he's kind of bringing everything um, to a close. He's talked about, you know, what it, what it means to be a believer, how one should act. He's talked about the right priorities in life. He's talked about how to pray, how to give, um, how to fast. And now he's kind of closing this all together. And he's basically saying this. What are you going to do with what I've told you? You see, everybody has a choice. We come to a sermon on a Sunday, and whatever the preacher speaks about on a Sunday, you have a choice. You can either listen to what the, service, what the preacher's saying, or you can switch off, and you can think about a whole host of other things that's going on in your lives. You can leave the, the church after the, the message and think, right, how am I going to apply that to my life? Or the other choice is to completely ignore it and carry on as if you didn't hear anything. Everybody has a choice. God never forces himself upon people to accept him. You have a choice to accept the Lord or to reject the Lord. You have a choice to accept the glories of heaven or to accept the punishment called hell. People have a choice. And the Lord is coming to the end of this message and basically saying, what are you going to do with what I've told you? Make your choice. Uh, And the remainder of Matthew chapter 7 deals with the application of this truth and the choices that have to be made. And we recognize, and we saw that this morning, with every choice, there is a consequence. The consequence of rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ is an eternal punishment in hell. The consequence, if you can use that word, to accepting the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior is an eternity in heaven. So with every choice, um, there is a consequence. And many Christians find themselves in, in, I suppose, difficult positions spiritually because of making the wrong choice. If I was to ask the question today, how many of you have ever made a bad choice? I'm sure every single one of us would say at some point we've made a really bad choice. You know, we had a, a decision to make and we could have gone this way or that way and we kind of went with the flesh or we went with how we felt or we went with what we thought was the right thing to do and it turned out that it wasn't a great choice. Um, the remainder, uh, like I said, of Matthew chapter 7 is the Lord pulling this together and saying, you have a choice. You can accept what I've said and apply what I've said, or you can do something completely different. Matthew chapter 7 verse 12 says, therefore, and whenever we see a therefore, we find out what it's there for. You see what the Lord has just been talking about. And he says, therefore, 
all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter ye in the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Father, we thank you again for this day, for this time together, and for this opportunity to come around your word. Father, we just prayed you'd speak to our hearts today, and we recognize that we have a choice to make tonight. We can listen to your word and apply your word to our hearts and to our lives, or we can carry on making our own decisions, making our own choices, finding our own way through life. And oftentimes we recognize the fact that we make bad decisions in our lives when we leave you out of those choices. So Lord, would you just speak to our hearts this evening and help us to make those right decisions, help us to follow you, help us to stay true to your word, and help us, Lord, to know you were peace and presence in our lives. We pray and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. I don't know if any of you have got um, like headings in your Bible, but in my Bible, in this particular section, starting in verse 7, it simply says, pray and the golden rule. Does anybody else say the golden rule in their, in their like title, in their Bible? And that's what this kind of section has become known as, the golden rule. How many of you have ever heard a lost person quote something similar? Do unto others. Anybody ever heard a lost person quote that? I've, I've, I've heard so many people say, oh yeah, well, as, you know, as long as you treat other people right, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. You know, so even most lost people are aware of what we kind of um, term as the golden rule. But this golden rule is one of the most misunderstood statements in the Bible. Um, this saying of Jesus has been called the capstone of the whole discourse. It's the topmost peak of social ethics and the Everest of all ethical teaching. This statement is not the sum total of Christian truth, neither is it God's plan of salvation. And there are many people who believe that as long as we obey this particular verse, we'll be okay. And the amount of times you talk to people about the Lord Jesus Christ, and they always say the same thing. Well, I treat other people like they should be treated. It doesn't make a blind bit of difference how you treat anybody. Even though we should treat people the right way, that's not going to get you into heaven. You know, people kind of think, well, as long as I treat others right, then God will look at me and think, well, do you know what? There's a good old chap. He's fit for heaven. No, it doesn't work like that. We can't get into heaven based on our merits or based on how we treat people. We only get to heaven based on the merits of the Lord Jesus Christ, based on his death upon the cross of Calvary. But this is certainly a key to implementing biblical principles in our lives. John 1.12 says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that call upon his name. This principle is to be practiced, not because it makes us Christians by the way in which we treat others, but because we are Christians. The verse begins with a therefore. And when you see this word, we, we find out, well, what did the Lord Jesus Christ say before all of this to say, therefore, because I've said that, you need to treat, what, what has he just been talking about? 
judging people and judging people um, the, the, the wrong way. He's been talking about praying. He's been talking about asking the Lord for help. He's been talking about, um, you know, if, 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 if a son asks the, the father for good gifts, you know, would that father then give um, bad gifts? So he's said all of this, and then he says, therefore, because of everything I've just said, you need to treat people the way in which you want to be treated. Because um, the, the, the Lord um, cares for us, because he loves us, Christ finishes um, this, this section by telling us how much the Lord loves us. And because the Lord is this way, because he loves us, we are commanded then to love other people in return. And think about it. You know, it doesn't say that, you know, we are to treat people the way that they would like to be treated. We're to treat people the way that we would like to be treated. You know, sometimes when you're about to lay into somebody, you ask yourself, is that how I would like to be spoken to? How would I feel if somebody spoke to me the way in which I am just about to speak to that person? And this puts everyone on equal terms. There is no one more special in the eyes of the Lord than somebody else. The, 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 the ground at the foot of the cross is completely and utterly level. God is no respecter of persons. You know, um, Joe, I don't know where she, if she heard it, if she came up with it herself, but Joe quotes this, this saying all the time. She said, you will never look into the eyes of somebody that God does not love. And that's true. We will never come in contact with even the most vilest person that you can think of right now. Probably a mother-in-law. But the vilest person you can think of right now, God loves them. And we don't understand that because that blows our mind. You think, well, how can God love such a vile person as this? The same way he loved you. And you might not be Mr. or Mrs. Perfect. This puts everyone on equal terms. And such an attitude then helps us to have more perception and patience, especially when it comes to witnessing to somebody for the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not to treat others in the same manner that they treat us. Because that's what we kind of want to do, don't we? Well, well, if you were going to be like that, I'm going to give as good as I get. But that's not what the Lord is saying. The Lord is saying we, you ought to treat people the way that you want to be treated. This principle emphasizes our actions. James said, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving your own selves. This golden rule is a principle that should govern our, our attitudes and our actions towards people. Um, and that's hard. Because let's be honest, there are some people in our lives that we really don't like. Now that doesn't mean you know, that we condone something they've done that's wrong. That doesn't mean that we suddenly, you know, want to become best friends with them because they've hurt us. But what it means is, is we're not going to go out of our way to attack them because we would want to be treated right in a particular situation or circumstance. And this goes contrary to everything that we kind of naturally want to do. Because let's be honest, when we come to have an argument, even with somebody we love dearly, we still want to win. True or not? True. Even when we know we're in the wrong. 
just want to win that argument. Joe sometimes says to me, don't even dream about it. And if you do dream about it, wake up and say sorry. I'm like, oh, sorry, love. The golden rule embodies and summarizes the the second section of the Ten Commandments. The way in which, you know, the first section is, is is our relationship with the Lord, what we call the vertical commandments. The second section are the horizontal commandments, how we deal with other people. And the Lord said in Matthew 22, 37, And Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Can I say this? This separates you from the rest of the world. If we are able to treat people in the right way who do not deserve to be treated in that way, then that separates us from them. That doesn't make us better, super spiritual, or even better. What it does, it re-emphasizes who Christ is in our lives. It doesn't highlight us and our behavior, but it elevates his position, his preeminence in our lives to a lost world. The attitude which says, you know, we need to have recompense, I need revenge, I need to... Is different from the attitude which says, I'm going to help. I'm going to be a blessing. One attitude requires doing nothing. The other attitude requires action. It was Mark Twain who said that it was not the difficult parts of the Bible that disturbed him, but it was the parts of the Bible that he understood that bothered him. Galatians 5.14 says, For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. In 1999, uh, Kevin Stephen of Lancaster, New York, was a bat boy for his younger brother's little league baseball team. During one game, a player who was warming up accidentally hit Kevin in the chest with a bat. He fell to the ground unconscious. His heart stopped. All I remember, Kevin says, is that all of a sudden I got hit in the chest with something and I turned around and passed out. Fortunately, a nurse whose son played on the team was able to revive him. Kevin and his family later learned that the nurse, Penny Brown, was supposed to be at work that night, but had been given the day off at the last minute. The story doesn't stop there, however. Seven years later, in January of 2006, Penny Brown was eating at the Hillview restaurant in Depew, New York, when she began to choke on her food. The food wasn't going anywhere, and I totally could not breathe, said Penny. It was so frightening. Patrons began screaming for somebody to help. One of the restaurant employees, a volunteer firefighter, ran out from the back. He wrapped his arms around the victim, applied the Heimlich maneuver, and saved the woman's life. When the emergency was over, the patron and employee recognized each other. The person who saved Penny's life was 17-year-old Kevin Stephen, the same boy whom Penny had saved seven years earlier. Sometimes doing unto others as we would have them do unto us has greater implications than we can ever possibly imagine. That is the golden rule. But then not only do we see the golden rule, the Lord goes on to talk about the gory road. You find it interesting. You know, we often say about, you know, the 
the broad way that leads to destruction and the narrow way that leads to everlasting life. Have you ever wondered why there's a highway to hell and only a stairway to heaven? There's a broad way which leads to destruction. It's not in the Bible. It's, it's two songs. I don't recommend you go and listen to them, but it's... You've got to be Googling highway to hell. Don't do that. <laughs> oh, I can't believe Pastor listens to this type of music. I just know that those songs exist. Anyway, moving on. The Gory Road, verse 13. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. From here to the rest of the sermon's end, the Lord repeatedly points out two things. And I think this last part of his sermon, as he summarizes everything, is fascinating. Um, The necessity of choosing to follow the Lord or not. And there's two choices. Um, In all preaching, there is a demand for a verdict, for us to respond to what is being said. And Jesus makes these choices crystal clear. He says there's two gates. There's a narrow gate and a wide gate. Make a choice which one you go through. He says there's two ways. There's a narrow way and a broad way. Make a choice which way you go. There's two destinations. There's a destination to life and there's a destination to destruction. Make a choice as to which destination you head to. There's two groups. There's few and there's many. Make a choice with which group you go into a line with. There's two kinds of trees. There's good trees and there's bad trees. There's trees that produce two kinds of fruit, good fruit and bad fruit. Make a choice as to what kind of fruit you will produce. There's two kinds of people who even profess Christ. There are the sincere and there are the false. There's two kinds of builders. There's the wise builders and the foolish builders. There's two types of foundations. There's the foundation of rock and there's the foundation of sand. There's two types of houses. There's the secure house and the insecure house. It's all choices. People have a choice to make. God never forces himself for you to choose him. He simply says, here's your options. The rest is up to you. There's a right path to follow and there's a wrong path to follow. It's interesting that the wrong path to follow is the easier path to follow. That is definitely the path of least resistance. It is a broad way, which means there is plenty of room for everybody on that path. Let me ask this question. How many of you um, hate shopping, especially at Christmas time? Okay. Let me talk to this side of the church then. Why is it that when we go shopping, we are so, especially Christmas time, you walk through St. David's and it is just absolutely jammed. You feel like sardines walking together. And then as soon as you see kind of like, you go into a shop and you see um, the, 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 like the, um, especially in Primark, which is just, I refer to it as the shop of death because it just makes you give up all hope when you go in there. But Primark, they open up these tills and the, the tills are absolutely, the, the queues are big, but they're done in such a way that it feels like, oh, this is going quick, because it's the path of least resistance. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. Yeah, what I'm saying is Primark leads to destruction. That is exactly what I'm getting at. But it's one where there's so many people, but you know what? That, that queue is absolutely packed. 
And you look at people and you think, why are you doing that to yourself? Who wants, to pay, who wants a three-pound T-shirt anyway? Who would, in their right mind, queue for that length of time for a three-pound T-shirt? Save up for another week and just spend a tenner on a T-shirt and just forsake the queue. But people are quite happy to stand there with the rest of the throngs in Cardiff all piled into pre-mark. And yes, I am equating pre-mark to hell. 100%. But the broad path, it's the one with this room for everybody. And it's the easier path. There's many people on there. Do you know, there's, there's comfort in the fact that there's a lot of people there. You know, you, you for some reason, when you, we, we love queuing. British people love queuing. COVID was the best thing that ever happened to us. It was like an opportunity to queue for everything. Ooh, we like a good queue. I was stood in a shop one time in Cardiff. I was stood outside waiting for Joe because you know what my view is on shop. And I was stood outside. And I literally formed my own queue. People were queuing up behind me. And I was like, I'm not waiting to go in the shop. I'm just waiting for my wife. So I moved to the other side of the door and I formed another queue. I caused that confusion because now there was two queues trying to get into the same shop. But when we go anywhere, if there's like a few people lined up, we're like, oh, that must be the queue. Even though this lane is empty, we're like, well, there must be something wrong with our lane. We won't go in that lane because it's empty, but we'll go in the lane where there's a lot of people. It seems to be a comfort in numbers. And the Lord said that the broad gate, there's loads of people, the broad path, there's loads of people on that path. And there's comfort in numbers because... The devil says, do you know what? You can live in any way you want to live. You can do exactly what you want to do. You can live it up and you don't have to worry about church. You don't have to worry about religion. You don't have to worry about any of that. And, and you know, effectively, if you're on that path, it doesn't matter. If you believe in heaven, everybody will get to heaven anyway. This path is broad enough for all kinds of viewpoints. This path is broad enough for all kinds of religious beliefs. This path is broad enough if you've got no religious belief or if you belong to a cult or a false religion. This path is broad enough for everybody. And it's filled with many different teachings. It's filled with many different ways to get to God. It's filled with many different opinions. It's filled with many different philosophies. Whether they contrast one another or contradict one another, it doesn't matter because the path is broad enough to, 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 to make everybody feel secure in where they are heading. And people feel so secure because there's so many people on that path. That path's a popular one. But it's not just a popular path, it's a deceptive path. It appears to be appealing. It appears to be fun. But the end result is ruin. Satan never wants you to see the end of that broad path. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way which seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. The word destruction that the Lord talks about here. This leads to destruction. It's not talking about annihilation. You know, the Jehovah's Witnesses will tell you, well, you just get annihilated. Well, if you just get annihilated, what, what are you worrying about knocking on my door for? Because if it's just annihilation at the end of it, we've got nothing to lose. Live your life as you want to live it. 
you know, eat, drink, be merry, do whatever you want to do, and at the end of life, there'd just be annihilation, and we don't know anything, job done, nothing to lose. But that's not what destruction means. Destruction doesn't mean annihilation. It means a ruin, a loss, and not an end of existence, but the end of comfort when it comes to existence. It's the Greek word apoleia, and it means ruin, loss. People on the broad path think they are gaining everything. But in effect, they are losing everything. The other choice is the glory road. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. And few there be that find it. Jesus tells us to enter in at the straight gate. The straight gate signifies literally what we call a wicket or a little gate in a larger gate. We understand that gates among the Jewish people signified an entrance or an introduction or acquiring um, something. So they talked about the gate of repentance, the gate of prayer, the gate of tears. And the Lord refers you to a gate, a, a way to eternal life. The Lord referred to the, the road, the, the, the narrow way which leads unto life. It's interesting that, you know, when you um, go to any kind of ruins, whether it's in, in Israel or anytime you see kind of like Roman, um, you know, when the Romans built a city, there was always a large promenade. It was always a main road heading through the center of the city, which was wide enough to take all the people headed into that city. Um, and that's the broad path. What the Lord is talking about here is a narrow road. Um, you know, some roads were large entering into these cities, and they would have been surrounded with walls. And, and what would happen then is, is that in certain parts of these cities, they were private roads. Sometimes only um, about four, um, you know, in, in terms of cubits, uh, the broad roads would have been 16 cubits, 24 feet wide, while as the private ways were only about four cubits wide, about six foot in width. Christ compares the way to heaven and hell by using this illustration, telling people, enter in at the straight gate. And the word here in the original Greek, Greek enter is a, in the aortist tense. It means something that requires an action. You have to enter in at the straight gate. You know, people will say, they, oh, there's plenty of ways to heaven. It doesn't matter what you believe. I remember talking to, to one guy in, in work, and he said, ah, but the thing is, he said, all the religions in the world are worshiping the same God. It's just there's a different road leading to that God. It's as if God is sat on top of the mountain, and one religion is around one side of the mountain, and another religion is around the other side of the mountain, uh, but those roads all eventually lead up to the same God. That's a load of old rubbish. Because Christ said, I am the way. He didn't say, I am a way. He didn't say, I'm one of many ways. He didn't say, hey, I'm just one of a whole host of different roads that lead up to God. He said, I am the way. The truth, the life, the Lord Jesus Christ said, I am the narrow path. I am the narrow gate. 
I am the door. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. You know, the command is not to ponder and admire this gate. The command is to enter it. It's not enough to listen to the preaching about the gate. It's not enough to even know of the gate. You have to go through it. There's no neutrality. There's a choice to make. You can go down the straight path, the narrow path, or you can go down the broad path. The broad path leads to destruction. The narrow path leads to eternal life. You can go through the broad gate, which is wide enough for all of your beliefs, for all of your intelligence, for all of your arguments, for all of your doubts. The gate is wide enough and the path is wide enough for you to take all of that nonsense with you. All acceptable on this path. But the narrow gate, the narrow path, that's the only way that leads to heaven. And that's Christ's way. Many people admire the principles of the Sermon on the Mount, but never follow those principles. Many people respect the Lord Jesus Christ and praise him, but never receive him as his Lord, as their Lord and Savior. Many people just refer to the Lord Jesus Christ as a good man, a prophet, a teacher, but they don't recognize him as the Son of God and as the Savior of the world. They don't enter the door of heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ's command is not simply to enter some gate, but to enter the narrow gate. That means we can't bring anybody with us. They've got to come themselves. We can't get saved for the one that we love, the one that we've married, our children, our parents. We can't get saved. We can't carry them through that gate by holding their hand. They've got to come themselves. Because it's a narrow gate. God's gate is so narrow that we've got to go through it without the things of this world. We can't carry the baggage of our self and our sin. Matthew 16, 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whomsoever shall save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. This way is hard. It's narrow. It's demanding. It's a way of self-denial. It's the way of the cross. It's a straight gate. Straight, S-T-R-A-I-T. Not S-T-R-A-I-G-H-T. The straight gate are two different words. The straight, S-T-R-A-I-T, means pent up, narrow, difficult to be entered. And you might say, well, that's contradictory because isn't salvation simple? Yeah, the concept of salvation is absolutely simple. But why do people find it so difficult to enter through that gate? Why do people say, I know what you're saying, but what about this? Oh, I understand what you're saying. I wish I could have you a faith. Salvation's simple. But to actually enter through that gate because of its narrowness, can be quite hard on people. Oh, I'd love to get saved, but I'd have to give up this. Oh, I'd love to get saved, but I'd have to forsake that. Oh, I'd love to get saved, but I don't think I could have the faith that you have. I'd love to get saved, but I don't think I could do church every week. I'd love to get saved, but I don't really want to give up that type of lifestyle. 
Salvation is simple. Salvation is easy. But the act of entering through that gate is a difficult one for so many people. Narrow is the way that leads to life. This right path is a difficult path to walk. And Christ never said being a Christian is easy. It's difficult to proceed once you're on that path because of the desires of your flesh. Because of the battles that we face every day, whether it's with the world, the devil, the flesh itself. But how many times have we said that it's far better to be a Christian, to be on the right path, than to not be a Christian, to be on the wrong path? You know, some people say, yeah, but all these people can't be wrong. Well, they absolutely can be wrong. Because the broad path that so many people are on today leads to destruction. There's only one way to salvation. And that's through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not one of many ways. Not by man's philosophy or man's clever thinking. It's simply by Christ. Salvation is by faith alone. In Christ alone. And nothing else. Because there's nothing we can do to add one bit what the Lord did upon the cross of Calvary for us. If you want to go to God's heaven, then you have to go God's way. It's not Bethany's way. It's not my way. It's not the, our opinion that this is, this is God's way. And in order to go to heaven, we've got to go God's way. Father, we are thankful for this time together tonight. And we just pray that if there's anyone here in the building that has never trusted Christ as their Savior, and Father, they have a choice to make right now, to accept you or to reject you, to continue on the broad path which leads to destruction and leads to an eternity in hell separated from God and paying for their own sinful actions. Or they can make a choice to go through that narrow gate. To go on that narrow path which leads to everlasting life. Father, I never understand why people would willfully choose a place called hell to be their eternal destiny. When Christ has offered forgiveness of sins. When Christ has paid for our sins debt. And has offered us an eternal place in heaven. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And Father, as we come around the communion table, we just pray that we would be thankful for the price that was paid to open up that gate, to open up that path to all who believe that we may enter in and find rest for a weary soul at the end of life's journey. So Father, we just pray now as we come around your table, that you would continue to speak to our hearts as we reflect upon the price that was paid at Calvary. We pray and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. If I could ask the deacons to come forward at this time. You know, when you think about it, when you think about the Lord talking about the broad way and the narrow way, and you think about what Christ did upon the cross of Calvary. Um, and you think surely there could have been an easier way of paying for man's sin. Surely there could have been an easier way that the Lord could have taken 
instead of going to the cross of Calvary. The cross of Calvary wasn't the broad gate or the broad way. It wasn't the easy path. Forget now the Lord Jesus Christ. He made the, the lame to walk, the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the dead to live again. He calmed the storm. He turned water into wine. I mean, he could have done anything that he wanted to do. But he chose the cross of Calvary. Because that was the only thing that could pay for the sins of the world. That was the only thing, his blood being shed. He was a perfect man. He fulfilled the law. Remember, he said he didn't come to destroy the law. He came to fulfill the law. What the children of Israel could not accomplish by keeping the law, by keeping the feasts, by keeping the offerings, the Lord Jesus Christ accomplished fully upon the cross of Calvary. That's why he cried out, it is finished. It wasn't a cry of defeat. It was a cry of victory because every prophecy had been fulfilled. Every law had been kept. Every offering had been made. And it was a perfect offering. Here's the thing. When religion or man tries to add to that offering, we basically make that offering of no effect. Because you cannot add to something that was perfect. When Christ died upon the cross of Calvary, when his blood was shed and he said, it is finished, nothing else needed to be done for salvation. It was perfect. And that's what we remember when we come around the Lord's table. We remember what took place that night as his body was beaten beyond recognition, as his body was battered and bruised so that scripture could be fulfilled. As we take the cup, we remember the blood that was spilt. And you know, even the smallest prophecies, when the Lord said, I thirst. What an odd thing to say towards the end of his life. But it was said so we could fulfill a prophecy that we would probably overlook in the book of Psalms. That was so minute. But every single prophecy was fulfilled upon the cross of Calvary. It was the perfect sacrifice that paid for the sins that we've committed, have committed, do commit, will commit. It was the perfect price that was paid. Nothing needs to be added to it. It's not by works that we are saved. It's a, a work of grace. Uh, it's by faith we are saved through grace. Not because of anything we have done or can do. It's completely the gift of God because if we could work for salvation, we would 100% boast about it. Because we'd say, look what I've done. But not a single person here who knows Christ as their Savior can say, look what I've done. Because as we come to this communion table and as we break the bread and as we take the cup, we are saying, look what he did. It is finished. I wonder if Brother Andrew would ask a blessing on the bread. Thank you, Brother Andrew.
man like that the Lord Jesus Christ was betrayed he blessed the bread and he took it and said as he broke it take eat this is my body which is broken for you this do in remembrance of me
Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Sin cannot be forgiven without blood being shed. For centuries, the Israelites offered sacrifice after sacrifice at the tabernacle and then at the temple. And sin was only ever covered until the next time. When the Lord Jesus Christ, who was referred to by John the Baptist as the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. When his blood was shed at Calvary, it didn't just cover sin until the next time. It removed it. It paid for it once and for all. That word to tell us that when it says finished is also a banking term, which means paid in full. Our sin debt has been paid because of the blood that was shed upon Calvary. I wonder if Jamie would ask a blessing on the cup. get together.
thanks for the cup. He told his disciples to drink all of it, and they were to, to, to do this in remembrance of him. Father, we are thankful again that we come to this time of remembrance. We remember who we were. We remember what you did for us. And we remember the change that's taken place in our lives as a result. And Father, we're thankful for the sacrifice that was made. Because the Lord Jesus Christ, who was perfect and never committed one sin, took on the sins of the whole world upon himself and gave himself as the perfect sacrifice. So that we who were sinful could be made righteous as the one who was righteous was made sinful yet without sin. So Father, we pray that you would just help us as we reflect upon all that you've done for us. And as we remember uh, that it for us started with a choice. There was a time in our lives where we chose to accept the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. Whether somebody witnessed to us, whether we heard a message, whether we read a passage of scripture in a way that you drew, drew us unto yourself, in a way that you spoke to our hearts, we made a choice. Father, I pray that if there's somebody here tonight, whether in this building or watching online, has a choice to make, they need to accept the Lord Jesus Christ before it's too late. And Father, I pray that they would do that even this night. Admit that they've sinned. Believe that Christ died upon the cross for them and then confess their sins. Confess them, their sins to you. And then confess you as the only way of salvation. So Father, I just pray that you would help us tonight. Then for those of us who are saved. To make the choices in our lives that would be pleasing to you. That would bring you glory and honor and praise. We pray and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. We'll close with our last hymn this evening. Sing the wondrous love of Jesus. And then following um, the singing of this hymn, I wonder if Andrew Davis would then close us out in a word of prayer. Amen.
is all the pointing we are God. We thank you for the bread and wine. The simple elements are God, and yet they point to that one who died on the cross of Calvary. We praise thee for that death, our God. But we praise thee that he was raised to life, and he lives at thy right hand forevermore. We praise thee, our God and Father, for the words that we have heard tonight. That straight gate. We pray that some of you will choose that straight gate tonight. There may be somebody, our God, online or somebody here in the building who's in that valley of decision. And we pray that they will choose Christ tonight. Some great man once said that, that there's, if we find ourselves, if we find ourselves in the majority, it is time for us to stop and reflect. We pray that someone here tonight will stop and reflect on their eternal future. We ask our blessing now, our God, on, on, on the after meeting, our God and Father. Bless us as we fellowship together. Be with us through a coming week. We ask it in the precious name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.